Today's gospel is uh, about sin, sick, and forgiveness, healing sin. So the Lord said, take up your mat, stand up and walk. Another place he says, take up your mat and go home. Another place he sends to his disciples, John's Gospel 22, the end, he walks through the door without opening it. And he looks at them and says, Excipite spiritus santo ad robo. I like the Latin. Exceed this from the Holy Spirit for strength. Whose sins you shall forgive, they are forgiven. And whose sins you shall retain, they are retained. Name the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. It's been a, a, quite a long time since we celebrated Holy Week. And uh, unfortunately, not everybody's here for all the ceremonies of Holy Week, because you work or you're busy or whatever. But Holy Week should be a time of drawing back quiet and prayer and attending the Holy Services day by day, walking with the Lord to the cross and to the resurrection. Very important that we take time out to meditate and do that, to follow the liturgy. The liturgy of Holy Week comes to us from what was done in Jerusalem. And there's a nun, I think in the fourth century, her name was Erethea, or Erethea, something like that. And she made a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. And um, she described what she saw there, so we know pretty well. Uh, she wrote it down, so we know exactly how Holy Week was celebrated in the Church of the Resurrection. The Church of the Resurrection was built by Constantine and his mother, Helena. Now, the early Christians, sometimes we forget this because Christians around us are very, very far off from the early church. But I've been particularly studying the early church lately and finding out wonderful things. And uh, the early church, there was a desire to return to the original temple, to live their life in the Temple of Solomon. Of course, they went to the Temple of Herod, it was the second temple, but a lot of things had been lost in between. And so, therefore, Jesus was always having trouble in the temple with the moneylenders and all these people, and forgetting about what the temple was all about, the worship of God. Uh, the closest you can come to, I think, Constantine and Helena 
Because they wanted to rebuild the original temple. So if you go to Jerusalem and you see the temple that they built, they thought they were making a replica of the original temple. So you go in, you go in the doors, to your right, or maybe 20 or 30 feet over, uh, there is a large cross, a shrine to our Lord's crucifixion. And right in front of you, there's a slab. And um, that's where they, they laid the Lord's body to anoint it before taking it to the brand new tomb, which is a ways off, but it's still in the building. So, you know, in the original temple, there was the outer temple and the inner temple and the Holy of Holies. And the priest, like Melchizedek, would go there. He would put on vestments similar to the veil in the temple. But when he went into the Holy of Holies, he only dressed in white. Very interesting. And of course, our Byzantine church, we are close to not that many sections, but we're close to the temple because we have the Holy of Holies. We have the Baldachin, which is like the veil. They had four pillars around the Holy of Holies above the tabernacle, the veil. And uh, they hang the veil on that, and they could get in and out. There was a flap. They could get in and out. The high priest could go there with incense, like we incense in the church. So it's very interesting to see these parallels from the early, from Judaism into the Christian, early Christian church, and still sort of maintained in our Byzantine uh, structures of of the temple. I like to call our church the temple. They were trying to be rather close to God by observance of what was revealed from heaven on the earth. So it was thought when the high priest was consecrated, he was taken behind the Holy of Holies and he was enthroned. Of course, the only thing we enthrone in our Holy of Holies is the Blessed Sacrament, Jesus Christ himself, the great high priest. And of course, in Hebrews, we see the consciousness of the early church showing that who Jesus Christ was. He said he was a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. He was this heavenly priest because he was truly God and truly man. The other priesthoods had just been a preamble or foreshadowing of the great high priest, Jesus Christ, who would come. And of course, he got in all sorts of trouble dealing with the authorities in the temple and what they were doing. But they had long ago modified what had gone on in the temple. And he wanted to restore that in himself. He was the temple and the offering. He was the high priest, and he was the 
gift that he made on the cross and his resurrection, and we celebrate it every Eucharist. Now, getting back to forgiveness, it was just the same day almost that Jesus rose from the dead. And the women went to the garden and they were going to anoint his body. Only the tomb was open and he was out there. And he says to the woman, Mary, it's I. They couldn't recognize him. He had changed. He had a risen body. That will happen to us too. When we're rose, raised up on the last day, or the first day, as we call it, we will have a glorified body similar to Jesus' body. And uh, then he was busy that day, that day of resurrection. And um, he finally wound up in the evening where the apostles were, and they were wondering about, they were pondering, thinking about what had happened and what the women told them, what they had seen. Peter's visit to the tomb and seeing the empty, seeing the winding sheet, seeing the cloth that had been on his face. But he wasn't there. The Jewish officials were very upset. They said, well, somebody stole the body. But we know better than that. They saw him. So they're gathered together in the evening, and he comes there and says, Peace be with you. So in all our liturgies, we use the resurrection greeting of Jesus Christ. The priest is always saying, peace be with you. And then he goes in and they recognize him. He had to give them the ability to see the risen Lord. Not everybody could see him. Only those people, he wished to see him for those 40 days. And he says, he gives them a great gift. Whose sins are forgive, or you forgive are forgiven, and your sins you are retained, you retain. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. This is a gift that comes from the Holy Spirit through Christ, who works all things in our lives. So today, when Jesus was preaching in teaching the gospel about who he was and who the Father was, he comes up against the same problem in his ministry. Well, who is this man that he can forgive sin? Probably in the whole history of the world, he was the only man who could forgive sin. But he was the son of the Father. And the Father sent him to reconcile sinners, to forgive their sins, and bring them to the Holy Eucharist, the bread for the journey in life, the Blessed Sacrament. What a great gift. These were all foreshadowed in the first temple. They also had showbread. They also had holy bread there, which only the priests usually ate. Very interesting. But Jesus gave the Eucharist for all of us that are baptized, chrismated, 
and we receive his body in a holy meal. Before he died on the cross, he instituted the Eucharist. Very interesting. Now, what is our response to these gifts? We have such a loving Savior. Is to live a pure life. It's difficult because we're fallen creatures and we like to give in to our passions. And outside these doors, outside this 70 acres, the world is like party world. It teaches people to give in to their what they desire and don't pay attention to God. That's okay for Sunday, but what about the rest of your life? Well, Our Lady, and this is the month of Mary, uh, this coming up is August in our church. When she encountered Gabriel, and he came to her and told her she was to be the living tabernacle, the mother of the Savior, Jesus Christ, says there she pondered these things. Now, I've had a pretty good experience this past week. Father Bishop Kurt called me, and he asked me to give a retreat to a, a fellow who's going to be ordained a priest on the 18th of this month, and we will pray for him that day. Nice young man. He's a deacon. And... Uh, Bishop called me and says, he's a good guy. Would you please give him a retreat? I said, well, I'm not coming to Passaic to give him a retreat, Bishop. It's too far and it's too dangerous, and everybody's sick all over the place. I says, I'm going to start to stay on the, my holy mountain over here. No, no, he says, you do it on the computer, or he says, you make pictures or film it and send it to him. That was a great compliment from the bishop to call me to give a retreat like that. So anyway, I have my dear friend here. You see him here today. He's a technician. <clears throat> he knows how to run computers and everything. So he set up a little audio. We could have had a visual too if we wanted it. And I gave four days of retreat. I gave eight hours of preaching, a retreat, two hours each day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It gave me a time to think a lot because I had to give all these conferences. I think it was a retreat for me to be able to preach to this young man and a great privilege. And I've been reading about our church at the very beginning. One of the remarkable things is that within seven years, the whole doctrine of the Catholic Church was complete. Within, that's remarkable. Now, over the years, we've institutionalized our church, but that's the way things happen. Charismatic organizations become institutionalized. That we got to Remember what there we are, the charismatic church of the apostles. 
in the Gospels and everything we read are in the memorials of their great experience in the growth of the church. And it grew like, like a mushroom overnight. It grew quickly. And so in that process, maybe the most important things they gave us were the Gospels and the sacraments. But along the way, there were other things that they did and we have to read about them only in the fathers of the church. They're the only place they have them. And like the book of Enoch, which never actually made itself into the corpus of the New Testament, but is very important in the Coptic church. It's around. And I've been reading things from Enoch, too. Helps explain a lot about the life of the early church and the apostles. And it's like a devotional book. Now, why I'm telling you all this is that this is a reflection this morning in this homily on forgiveness. It's a reflection on pondering, like Mary said, they said, Mary pondered all these things in her heart. And I find this singly lacking among Catholics and probably not at all existing among other so-called Christian groups, that we set, that we read the scripture, that we talk to God about it, and we let the Holy Spirit speak to our heart. So that's why we get ourselves in trouble, why we have to get to confession, because each day we don't give quality time to God in prayer and reflection. And I know the world is demanding upon you, getting to work, getting back, making money, paying the bills, taking care of the children, running around, too much. We should try to live as the early church did, as Mary showed us for her pondering. Then we do that pretty much in the monastery, but even in the monastery, there's always room for improvement. So, you need to feel or experience God in your heart. It takes lots of prayer to be open. So this man said to me, has little children, he has one child, six years old and under three. I said, well, he says, what am I going to do with my children? I need my attention. They, I'm trying to pray and they're, they're there. Right. I says, you pick them up and you pray with them. Hold them and pray with them. Teach them how to pray when they're young. And now if they have a good relationship with their father, who's a priest, Maybe some of them will become religious. But certainly they'll have a good understanding of God the Father who loves us. Remember, even Jesus prayed. But he still understood our condition in needing of absolution, to be given our prayers. So we wouldn't be worrying all the time about our faults, but thinking about how to live a Christian life, and the beautiful things he's taught us. So I had a wonderful week.
I thank everybody that helped me. Father Bill came down. He did the daily liturgy and things like that, so I could take my time with this gentleman. And I'd go in for communion or whatever I could, and he did the prayers, and we enjoyed his visit. I thank him. I think this young man with the technician was he and he's here somewhere. Uh, he helped me a lot. I think the monks uh, that helped me, leaving me to do my priestly work. But I want to share with you this day, I learned a lot again. Again, I learned a lot again. Every time I open the sacred scriptures and spend time with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, I'm a changed man. The Holy Spirit comes, just like he did to those apostles who were all scared to death. They didn't know what was going to happen. Well, he's risen, and we know what's going to happen now. And he tells them, you're going to go out and heal the world. You're going to give it, forgive sins. Now, one of the things about a Christian is when you're around a Christian, he doesn't use naughty words. He's quiet. He's not like his fellows around him because he knows, he bears in his heart the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And even if you don't say a word, you're preaching. And people will say, why is he different? Why is he or she holy? Why do they not live a sinful life like the rest of us? So after all, we're only human. You are more than human. The gift of the Holy Spirit's in you. Your feet in the body and blood of the Lord. And your sins will be forgiven. You lucky Christians, the very elect of the world and the church. Name the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.